both worthily and well. And with your spirit. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, what with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand, where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light is shining for others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can... Hmm? Oh, that's bull... Baloney, baloney. See, it, it's not true, and the way we know it's not true is because of what just happened. Because if I'd finished my sentence, there'd be a letter to the bishop tomorrow. And the reason there'd be a letter to the bishop tomorrow is because someone's sensibilities would have been offended, and so they, their feelings would have been hurt. We can, and we do hurt each other with words all the time. Think for a minute about the meanest, dirtiest thing anybody's ever said to you. The thing that hurt the most when somebody said or shouted it at you. Remember, during the height of the priest abuse scandal, I was working as a hospital chaplain in Denver, and the monastery was just uh, three or four blocks from the hospital, so I'd walk to and from work, and I'd be coming on and off at odd hours, you know, shift. But, you know, you'd think you see a priest or a monk walking down the street, and there's a church right there, you'd kind of have some sense of what was going on. I remember taking a bottle to the back of the head from a passing truck and hearing things I'd never thought I'd know go together. I remember in fifth or sixth grade when my body had decided I needed deodorant before I knew what it was. Man, that stinky still sticks. I hear the word and it just makes me shiver, right? Words can beat us down and break us. They can also make us. Think of the kindest thing anyone's ever said to you, the greatest compliment you've received. Sometimes they happen almost by accident. 
One time, early in my, my tenure here, I was at the door after Mass, and this fella, I've never seen him before, I'd never seen him before, I've never seen him since, but he pumped my hand real hard, and he said, Father, you actually believe all this stuff. <laughs> he didn't mean it as a compliment, I sure did. Words make and break us. They can establish realities, right? First time you say, I love you to somebody, the air in the room changes. That's why we get worried about it. That's why there are sitcom plots that are built around it. Teenager gets real mad at you. I hate you. Door slam. Realities get created and broken down, established and diffused, all with a word. It shouldn't surprise us. God spoke a word and creation came to be. So we should pay close attention when the word speaks to us. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now that last one's significant in that elsewhere he calls himself the light of the world. And that, I think, should be a helpful corrective on some of our ego, right? Um, I'm the light of the world. I'm God's gift. Have you met you? <laughs> no, you're not so great, I promise. But if he is attributing to us characteristics or attributes that are proper to him, we should pay attention. And that, I think, might actually be the key to understanding the salt of the earth thing, too. So salt, of course, means difference in the ancient world than it does here. We're still talking about the same substance, the sort of thing that's on your kitchen table, but it has a different function in the ancient world. First of all, in a way that, unless we still pickle, probably most of us don't use anymore, is that salt was the major preservative. There weren't fridges, so you had salt, so you'd, you know, make lamb jerky all the time or something if you had to go on a trip. Salt um, was used as an antiseptic. It, you'd rub it into wounds, not a lot, but a little, in order to make sure they wouldn't become infected. Salt would even be used to preserve bodies. It was the closest thing they had to embalming. A lot of us miss this, but um, you know, there, there, there are mummies in the Old Testament. Joseph and Jacob are both mummified and brought back to Israel when the people leave Egypt the first time. So, 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 so salt has this sort of curative, restorative, preserving characteristic. It's not just a condiment the way we use it now. But even the way we use it now, as a condiment matters, right? Because if you over-salt something, you kill the flavor. It's too salty, right? The salt overpowers what you're eating. But if you season it right, the salt actually brings out the natural flavors that are already there. Which is why Jesus says, if salt loses its flavor, that is its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Now watch what happens here. I opened with a joke that involved salty language. That's not an accident. Our use of salty in that way is, is, is driving at the same thing. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, He's not simply trying to stir up positive feelings in us. He's making a, a kind of a daring claim here. Salt, if it's overused, can become caustic. It can burn our skin. Happens in salt water at times. It can 
not just prevent an infection, but cause something worse if you get it in a real bad wound or sore. It can make food unusable because it's become too salted. And yet, in just the right proportion, salt can bring out magic that otherwise mightn't have been apparent. The light imagery isn't warm and fuzzy either. The, the, the image he uses here is uh, much more pyrotechnic than we might give it credit for. Listen again. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Well, that's true. The only way you'd be able to hide it would be to turn out all the lights in the city, right? No, uh, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. What are bushel baskets made of? What kind of material we think bushel baskets are made of? Yeah, right? So like wicker or something, right? They're woven. You think that's flammable? So if you take a, a wooden basket or a reed basket and you flip it over an open flame, which is the only kind of lamp that exists in Jesus' day, right? This isn't what's on your bedside table. If you put an open flame around a lot of wood, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to catch fire. The, this, this isn't, he's not saying you flip the basket over and it puts out the, the, the wick. Mm. No, it's the other way around. If you try and cover this up, it's going to cause damage. Somebody's going to get burned. And this is exactly what happens when we try and hide what's been given. Now, the way this was always presented when I was a kid, right, it was a kind of a populist, like, hey, guys, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. There's no I in team, right? It's the kind of thing you'd, you'd paint over a, a door in a locker room or a, or a band hall or something to, to get people feeling good about themselves. I don't think that's what he's doing here at all. And the reason I don't think that's what he's doing here is because this immediately follows on what we read last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you, basically, when nothing is going your way, when everything's terrible, and probably you should go eat worms and die. That's when you're most blessed, according to Jesus. And then he turns to the people, the disaffected and the sad and the impoverished, and, and, and the people down on their luck in every way, whom he's just said, no, even though it looks like everything's terrible, you're really in this privileged class. You really have the capacity to sort of bear blessing in the world in a way that, that other people don't necessarily have. And then he turns to them and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, not because we're going to grab our pitchforks and our torches and, and, and charge against the Romans. Nope. Nope. You are salt and light already because of me, because of your relationship to me. I can only attribute qualities or characteristics proper to me, salt and light, to you because of our relationship. So there's a certain way in which you get to decide whether this gospel is true. You personally get to decide whether this gospel is true. You can choose to be the salt and light that he's called you to be in light of your relationship with him, or you can choose to be tasteless and dark, to let things grow 
in those quiet corners where the light doesn't reach. To let routine and the ordinariness of life beat you down so that there is no more flavor. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I watch TV, or whatever your thing is. You ultimately get to decide what happens here. Which means you decide whether the world is more full of light or more covered in darkness, more full of flavor or just flat. This week, the Holy Father visited uh, both Congo and South Sudan, both countries that for pretty much all of our lifetimes have just been disasters. We have parishioners. We have parishioners from Congo. And we have a very large uh, contingent of Sudanese Catholics here in the city, but that are mostly at St. Ambrose. We have a couple priests from Sudan serving in the diocese. When the Holy Father... Um, the leaders of the Sudan uh, came to visit the Holy Father two years ago because it's a very Catholic country. And he startled everyone, Pope Francis did, by kneeling down to kiss their feet. Now, these are men. These are not good men. <laughs> this is not a political statement. This is just like an empirical assessment of facts from the outside. These are warlords who have like torn up a country for several decades. These are bad dudes. And the Pope knows that when they're coming to see him. But he also knows that their, their country's so screwed up, he's got to do something to shake them out of the ordinary life that they're living. And so, so they come into the reception hall where they're supposed to meet him, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he kisses their feet. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he kisses their feet. And this made a lot of people really angry because... From the wrong angle, it could look like he's approving of what they're doing. That's not what he was trying to do at all. It's precisely because both of these men call themselves Christian and their country's a disaster. He's trying to shame them into good behavior. He's being a good father in that way. And sometimes a good father or a good mother is willing to embarrass themselves for the sake of the kid. Right? How effective that was, I think people in Sudan would have a... a different kind of assessment for, but here's what happened this time. So I want you to have that image in your head of the Pope bending down to kiss the feet of these bad guys. So he goes to their country this time, and instead of him bending down to kiss people's feet, people brought him gifts, offerings. This always happens when the Pope comes, right? Uh, when I was a kid and, and, and Pope John Paul came to St. Louis, um, you know, the, the hockey team gave him a hockey stick. I remember that one real distinctly because he kind of twirled it like a cane. People are always giving the Pope gifts, right? Well, well the, the, gifts, the gifts they offered the Pope this week were different. So, so it was a, a young boy, maybe 15, 16, and he brought in a machete, which had been used to murder his family. And he offered it to the Holy Father, and then the Holy Father gestured, and the boy laid it down at the altar front of the crucifix, an offering. Not because the boy was responsible for what had happened to his family, but, but that machete carrying all the pain, all the suffering, all the difficulty this kid had known, right, laying down at the altar. Then a priest came forward with an axe, and his hand was all mangled, missing fingers, because they'd been taken off with that axe. His parishioners... He asked them to raise their hands so the Holy Father could, could, could see them. They couldn't 
because most of them didn't have hands anymore because of that axe. The one that captured everyone's attention was the young mother who brought her two young girls, twins, to be blessed by the Holy Father. She laid down a mat, the mat on which those children were conceived against her will. That's where the salt lives. There is light there. Because, you see, if that woman can learn to love those children as though they were the children of the man of her dreams, then she shines as a brighter light than any of us can just with ordinary gifts and talents. That boy laying down the weight of the loss of his family in a war-torn country, if that boy grows up not to become another fighter, but is constantly laying down arms, a real agent of peace, a peacemaker, well then, not only is he blessed, but now he becomes blessing for the world. That's where the flavor is. That's where the light is. Now, most of us don't have sufferings quite like that, though some of us might have things that are deep. The question is, can you let that be light? Can you let that be salt? Can you let what troubles you and what ails you and what you struggle with and what you wish wasn't, can you let that be what you offer at God's altar? Not what you've done well, what you're proud of, what you'd boast of if you got the chance. Not the things you want everybody else to see. Can you take the parts of yourself you don't want anybody to see and not just show them to God, but make of them a sacrifice? Because if you can, if you can, then God will do what he always does. He'll transform them and he'll return them back to you new and changed so that you can return to the world changed. And so change the world with a single word.